0: Live from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Zach Kuhn Show. I've always wanted to say that. My guest today is Opry man himself, Mr. Dan Rogers. He is the show's executive producer and vice president. Listen to me, this is a big deal. Nashville is built around the Grand Ole Opry. In the early days, artists would travel to Music City because playing the Opry was their best bet of being heard around the nation. It was the only way. Carrying that torch today is a big task. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd be up to it, but Dan Rogers leads one of America's greatest treasures with ease and grace. He makes it look easy. I mean, I again, I don't know if I'd be up for this task, but Dan is leading the Opry into the modern age. They're about to have their 5,000th Saturday night broadcast. Their 100th year anniversary is five years away. This is a big torch. You can't screw this up. This is not screw upable. We talk about it all. This is the pinnacle of country music right here. So take your seat because that current is about to go up. We are live from the Ryman Auditorium. I'm just kidding, we're not, but here we go. Let's dive in. Dan Rogers, episode 32. Here we go. So I really wanna ask you something because kinda of like the story that you always hear about the Opry is the Opry got the name because they were playing grand opera. And then George Hay said, Okay, enough grand opera. This is now grand opera. i And I've heard some like pretty like intelligent people in the space say that that's a myth. That's not actually true. Is that really what happened? Is that the true no, story?
1: I think it's pretty well the I mean, I think it's pretty well depicted that that is the case that um because um, the show, which was opera, basically, was playing on the radio live before the Opry would go on. So it was kind of like, you know, our background music or what have you here. As I understand it, Hay just happened to under happened to happen to be tuned in listening as opposed to, you know, doing something else show related. And the um announcer for that particular program was um saying that there was no place for realism in the classics because they were emulating the sound of I think it was a I think it was a train and that person was saying there was no place for that in the kind of music they were playing and Hay said came on to say I guess and I've always thought of it as Hay you know, was annoyed and maybe like even felt talked down to or what have you and just said, well, maybe that's the case there, but we're it's all about realism with us. You've been listening to Grand Opera, but from now on, we'll present the Grand Opera. And I will say, um, so I think that that's, you know, it's not, obviously wasn't um, recorded, so we don't know for sure, but I've seen that enough times that I tend to believe that um and i will say that um years ago when i was an intern one of my projects was and when i say project i mean like one little thing i did was I spent the day at the uh, afternoon at the nashville public library doing research and um i thought it was really interesting that the um newspapers of the day and like people that were talking about um, radio programming um, were referring to it as the Grand Opry by the next Saturday night. Like it- Like that's on record, that- Exactly, it took root immediately. Like somebody had to have followed up and said, I don't, well, I think it was an accident really that the Grand Opry got its name in a way. I, I feel like somebody had to follow up and like there had to been a meeting on Monday morning saying or hey had to think wow that's great I fell into something now it's the Grand Ole opry just for it to have um, become the name that quickly
0: like when Dave Cobb calls it music city and, and that's stuck right or isn't that the exactly. story as well that and, yeah. and someone someone yeah. said keep that that's good right. <laughs> unbelievable so are there figures like like do you look at someone like will Denny and 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 are there things he did or defined the role like do you ever hear stories or read anything and does how he defined the role? does that reflect the way you treat the position now?
1: Do you know um I just i will say that I worked on or i i helped out from time to time with the Colin Escott book that I'm guessing sounds like you probably um read that piece, which is um, The Making of the American Icon. Um, and I learned things in, when reading that oral history that I, um, that were that helped me understand something that I've always, that I've always known, but it was really good to go back and read that um, that helped me understand how some of the sacred cows came to be, um, as well as, um, some things that feel like sacred cows that maybe, um, don't necessarily have to be, um, and I hope I'm not speaking in code, but, um, you know, it's just like when something has been around for 95 years and it's not just a, piece of furniture or a food product or what have you but it's something that um it not only is it for is is, is it's consumer diverse but it's made up of living breathing people um it's really funny to me and interesting to me how um, things like a Denny or whoever would have done um, change and don't change through the years. You know it's like if the Grand Ole Opry was a, as we'll just say piece of furniture because I used that analogy earlier, a piece of furniture it would be interesting to see one if after 95 years it was still around and a product and two if it changed more or less than the granule opery based upon the fact that the Opry is made up of people. Um, and you know sometimes it's it's harder to change and sometimes it's less important to change, you know? Right. Now I don't know if I I've the
0: question or not, but I hopefully I did. Well I'm curious because I, I think I've maybe heard you say or somewhere I've read that in the old days they used to mail out the when they were booking artists for the show, they would mail it out. How how would that work? They would they would just send the mailer, and people would write back, and then show up, or they wouldn't. Like that was that was the best way to book it back then.
1: <laughs> I have um, thought many many times. Um, like it's interesting to me to look back at how the show has changed and how life is harder now and life is um, easier. You know, the Opry is, is, if nothing else, a huge book full of juxtapositions. You know, we have um, artists who have um, been Opry members for 50 years and plus, and we have like, last Saturday Luke Cown, or Nico Moon. Who, yes who plays for the very first time um, and that's the way I think of like the op, like trying to manage the Opry in the past and the Opry today for one in the past you know it started with just a Saturday show and a Friday night show and you had um, a long list of Opry members who are really essentially required to um, be here many, many, many weekends a year. So it kind of feels like, um, every time I start to feel like, wow, how simple must that have been to like count on Roy Acuff being in the eight o'clock segment and he'll welcome Minnie Pearl curtain. will come down will be on, et cetera. But then one day I did stumble across, um, like a sheet that was, had clearly been sent, um, via mail, to um, an artist, an opera member way back when saying, complete this to let us know when you're in town, you know, say in the month of November. And I thought, can you even imagine trying to put together this show via mail correspondence? I mean, that's nuts. Um, And you know, I, I think that every once in a while when I go back and look at, um, and it's not like I've like have a lot of time to do this, but I love um, just stumbling onto something when I'm looking for something else. All that male correspondence that makes me think, my gosh, these people created fanfare now known as CMA music fest, right. by, like getting in their cars and going to a meeting, you know, or having mail correspondence about this or polling 10 people to see what they thought one by one, because there was no email, there was no conferencing, et cetera. So yeah, every time I think, man, gosh, they had it so easy. I'm stumble on something that reminds me, no, not so much. Um, it hasn't um, been probably an easy road for, for anyone.
0: But you gotta think that you know you send out for whatever the headlining spot is gonna be and then you have to wait for that person to say yes or no before you ask another headliner to jump in. So it seems like mailing, it would just be like impossible. It would take forever.
1: Well, I will show you my age and say that while I wasn't working in, the, in this area of the Opry at that point, I do remember um, the days of um, faxes going out with, <laughs> you know, asking for member availability. So again, that wasn't me, but um, I've been here long enough that I remember that having been the case. Wow. So how do you, how do you get the internship at the Um. Well, for me, I had gone to graduate school um, and had a degree in educational psychology. And when I graduated with that degree, there were, no positions whatsoever available, like I just happened to land on a really really bad year when there were educational cutbacks, et cetera. so I made my way through life doing um some other things, teaching at a, a community college, writing about country music for a newspaper um and directing a community center and um continued education just kind of to make sure I was um, ready to jump to jump into whatever it was that I decided I wanted to do. And um, it occurred to me one day that you could combine what you really loved with what was important to you and um, came here as an undergraduate intern. I mean, I had that, um, you know, degree in educational psychology, but I came in was making copies of um, Ryman Auditorium pieces and, you know, typing the Opry lineup and all that sort of thing. And it was it was a, a great intro into this
0: place. Did, think, you, um, did you just apply or did you like, were you working the phones? Or like, how, like how, how do you find the internship? I applied, <laughs> that's
1: funny. I applied over and over and over and um, got really lucky that um, I happened to have a college friend who had a um, extended family member who worked in Grand Ole Opry tours at the time who told me who to call in Opry marketing and said he would um, let that VP of marketing know that I was going to give a give him a call. And so that's how that all came to be. And I'm sure they were thinking, who the hell is this guy? Because, you know, when I sent in my information, I had like pieces that had run in the Cincinnati Enquirer and that sort of thing about country music and, you know, uh, concert reviews and concert um, previews and that sort of thing. But um, I will always remain very, very grateful that they gave me that shot. And that was a really close knit group of people who um, kind of, let me in the door and let me be a part of that group. And, um, you will hear people say the, you know, the Opry is family and that sort of thing. Um, which I think people on the outside sometimes, um, might think, okay, for real. Um, but there's so many pockets of it inside that are, we, that group of friends, I mean, we group text at least once a week and, um, When I was fortunate to um, ascend to this position a year ago, August, um, they're all, I think everybody, almost everyone's in a different state now, but we all came back together and celebrated that um here in the office and it wasn't just because they all wanted to come backstage at the opry i think they were genuinely
0: thrilled that um like whatever helps you sleep at night no i'm kidding i'm say. kidding <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome wait so you have you ever had any other like professional job other than working at the opry
1: so i did in those early years after um after the after graduate school um i had taught at a college and I worked for a um, a community center and then, and wrote just freelance, um, which wouldn't have paid the bills, but wrote freelance about country music. So that was like a five year period. But the only job I've had since I moved to Nashville and have been in the music industry um, has been the Opry. Of course, when you're at the Opry, in my mind, if you're doing it right, you're really work you're working at the opry but you're working for country music so you know if you ever feel like i'm um pigeonholed or feel like i should be doing something um like expanding horizons or what have you i can easily be doing that and should be doing that from this chair and this office i mean we need to be working closely with the Academy of Country Music with the CMA, with the IBMA, Americana, um, Nashville Convention Visitors Corporation. Right, All of course. You know, it's like every day is different in that regard in that you're, um, the Opry is so diverse, um, not only with what you see on stage, but who and what is important to us to keep it successful.
0: Do you ever feel like, cause I mean the Opry is so iconic, you show up as an intern. Do you ever feel like, why me? I mean, no doubt you, you you had the goods and put in the time and and you know worked up to where you are now. But do you ever feel like, like, oh my god, how am I this lucky?
1: Um, absolutely. In a word, absolutely.
0: Like, um, I will say, I
1: feel like, I hope it's not um, it's sounding. I would never want to sound conceited, but I I feel like they got the right person for this job, like I do feel I'm confident in that I feel like I love the traditions of the Opry. I love that it's still, you could walk in and see a show or hear a show and you would be reminded of, you could identify with it, like you could identify with the Opry. I first experienced when I was in kindergarten, but you can also see this is a place in a show that is working hard to remain relevant and um, is a place where dreams come true and can come true for young um, artists. So I feel like it, it takes a special person to have that mix, but there's no doubt whatsoever that I am incredibly grateful for this opportunity and that yeah i'm not exactly i can't remember exactly what you had to say but am aghast that i get to be in that position it's i mean if you had told what 12 year old me that i would get to do that i would be amazed and if you told intern me that i would get to do that I would probably be even more amazed. Um, so yes, I can, I can talk for two weeks about how grateful I am for the
0: opportunity. So what is the thing, like I grew up in New York, basically New York City, nobody I knew listened to the Grand Ole Opry. And when I was in high school, I became a massive Brad Paisley fan and I, obsessed, I would watch everything he does. And seeing what the Opry meant to him made the Opry m- mean a lot to me. Like that was sort of my first entrance mm-hmm. to the Opry. And I would always see people on stage accepting nom- like you know, accepting the Opry and they'd get so emotional and I would always think like, that, there's no way this is that emotional or like, well, like what even is this? And then I remember walking into the Opry for the first time and being shocked at like, you kind of get punched in the face by a feeling of just walking into the Opry in the middle of a show, like it's incredible. What, what is that? Is that the ghosts? Is that the music? Is, is that the history? Like what, where does that feeling come from? Cause it's so real. And even someone who didn't grow up with it feels like really attached to it. Now I live in Nashville and it's like, I weirdly feel attached to it. Even though I feel like I kind of came to it late in life. Like, like what is that? Yeah. How does that happen?
1: I think it's, well, one, I don't think there is a definitive answer, which probably, which is the answer I suppose, you know, that you can't put your finger on it. Um, and that it's different for everyone, you know, for me, it's many, many things, but if I, if I hadn't been so lucky as to have, um, been given this shot and this opportunity to work at the Opry, I think for me, it would have been coming in and as an only child country music and really the opera are what really connected me to my parents more than anything. Um, it was something that we all enjoyed and had in common. So for me, um, it's that connection. Like I think of my parents almost every time the big red curtain goes up on a show and certainly every time Loretta Lynn is within 10 feet or 20 feet of me, I think of my um, mom, but you know what? I think it's also just how unique the Opry is that it's been around for 95 years. It means something different to the person you're sitting next to um, or the person who these days is commenting from, you know, Wales or New Zealand while you're, um, you know, watching Chris Jansen perform or what have you. Um, but I think it's that mix of, um, tradition and looking forward and kind of just that, um, I think everybody loves a underdog story and a success story. And the fact that this little radio show that started because a fiddle player sat down and, you know, played these fiddle songs and people who were listening, um, wrote in and said, that's the kind of music, like we play on Saturday nights. That's what we want to hear on the radio that someone listened, put that fiddle player and others who performed like him, um, on stage so that people could listen. Um, and I think people just love the, um, love the success of it love that you know Minnie pearl came out and and did her thing and brought others to the show and that you know alan jackson dreamt of playing the show went on to play it and now the it's elder statesman for life man. a better word continues um and you know the next generation's just as interested
0: all to sell more insurance <laughs> <laughs> exactly which i kind of love about that also because that's such a like human thing as well in a weird way like it was just created to sell more insurance oh yeah
1: i I love um i guess it's that part in the book where um they say basically the training that a that a salesperson a shield man was um basically something to the tune of Roy Akef sent me and I'd love to talk to you about your insurance.
0: Like, right, exactly. <laughs> so okay, so the 50th anniversary show. Let me let me ask you something. When you're curating a show and you go, We need someone special, we need someone great, do you just call Vince Gill? Like, is he the safe guy <laughs> to get? <laughs> like he makes everything a great show. Is that the is that a safe call does, right there? Doesn't he? Um well we he
1: um I reminded him the other day when he was here that he played um, in the pandemic five times. Oh, you know, we have many, many, many great, great go-to people. I think one thing that um, makes Vince um, a little, that separates him um, sometimes is just, God, the guy's like a, a magnet right like um and i hope that he doesn't watch this and see um me say this because i'd be embarrassed of that
0: but he's actually in the other room hold on hey vince
1: (laughs) (laughs) i've been fascinated um by him in that um i've watched him like you know just by virtue of going to events or what have you i bet that there have been weeks that i've seen him play in town like four different times and with four different groups of people, like even genres and styles and, uh, you know, uh, of people. And I'm always amazed that wherever he is, like he has these tremendous great friends, you know, like he can be in a bluegrass, um, a group with bluegrass folks, and he's everybody's best friend and come out to the Opry, and that's the case, and it's just genuine, so that's one thing, one reason that he's, um, yes, on speed dial is, I uh, know the guy can do it, and I completely trust him, like, um, on our 95th show, um, I just said to him, I don't pretend to be able to know, um, what will you know what would, what the perfect intro to this show would be, but I know that you'll think about it and I know that you'll come up with something. And, you know, he called back later and said, um, night train, like he was thinking of night train to Memphis. And of course I thought, Oh, that's perfect. That, you know, it would be a Roy Acuff tune, but what I didn't think about, and I I'm guessing that he did, um, what I didn't think about until, sound check was ah that's awesome it's about you know guy who's been separated coming back like trying to get back home and right and so i thought, my gosh that's genius i'd like to think that um i may have figured out the connection if i hadn't been so busy <laughs> if i hadn't been multitasking when he called um with that but i just thought oh yeah that's great like it's i thought it's upbeat which is how, you know, I wanted the, um, show to start and it's really country. So that's how I wanted the show to start with, you know, fiddle and, and guitar. But then as I was listening, I'm like, of course, it's like, that's perfect for the launch of the 95th year. But it's also, I love, you know, what it says, if you listen closely that, you know, we're all coming home um, tonight because of course it was the first night that we had had um, a small audience back since, since March.
0: Right. And he said also in that performance that uh, was Roy the person who, who, who brought him into the Opry. And then he was singing that song. That was him and, and Garth is another one. And there's others that like when Garth played and every time Vince plays and there's others too, they just make it feel so, present and special like they have a way of making whatever they're doing even if they're playing you know go rest high on the mountain or whatever it is they always make it feel current and new so it's such a gift it's incredible how people like vincent garth and others can do that
1: and i'll say it's um i mean one of the most fun things about this job is there are a lot of re there are a lot of people um opera members and guest artists with that gift and um it's really fun to put people together who may or may not know each other and watch that magic happen between them as well um and sometimes you know um sometimes it's a complete fluke like it's just this needs to go here and we'll hope for the best and sometimes those are magical where those artists you know become lifelong friends, write a song together, perform together the next time they're on, what have you. And that's always fun about the Opry also is when a member like a Vince or Jeannie Seeley or Billy Anderson or whoever um, may not know someone, um, they'll have done their homework and, you know, looked into who they are and their music. But when they get really jazzed and excited about a um, an artist, that's one of the most fun things about this job is saying yeah you know here's who they are and here's where they're from and we'll make sure to um introduce you afterwards and all that sort of thing
0: who's the funniest like non-comedian member of the opry is it bill anderson Um, great i love that question that's fun funniest non-comedian
1: member of the opry gosh um uh I'll have to come I love that question, but I'll have to come back to you. I love um, who are a couple, like who are
0: some that are like usually pretty funny?
1: Um, of course um Vince is um funny. Paisley has a great sense of humor. Um Jeannie Seeley thinks she's funny. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um she she is Seely is one of the wittiest people I've ever met. Like um and um, is just so fun to be, around and also um, takes great um, care in everything we do at the show. Like she, I mean, she never ever um, calls it in, it, which is crazy after. 53 years like she is always thinking about how to improve um her show her part of the show um and really often gives me advice on the show itself you know like um just last week she was when she was in um i hadn't um, we hadn't assigned her the dressing room that she's used to and you know she asked why and i said well probably because it's been seven months and we forgot like <laughs> we we are not the we're not as good as our jobs as you're at yours silly but i love that um there's so many fun people to um talk with and i'll tell you that's one of the things that i've missed most in the past um seven months is um like the opera is always going to be home and it feels um, like there's still this great sense of um, love and fun here, but it's also like we very much have to wear our um, safety hats and I feel like that's my number one job um, and has been over the past seven months. So it's been really um, difficult not to, have that interaction because it's so much of what makes the Opry special is that intergenerational interaction and introducing a young artist to somebody who may have been here 20 years or what have you. And I mean, I think everybody who plays the show misses that, um, time when, um, you're ready to go on, but you're watching what's before you, or you've been on and you're sticking around and watching, um, what's happened, or, you know, you come off stage, like, um, happened with the Del Curry band, what, two years ago now, um, Rita Wilson made her Opry debut, and Tom Hanks came along with her, and so he was just standing on the side of the stage watching, and it was so much fun to watch, like, the guys in the Del McCurry band come off stage, like, into a double take, like, oh, Tom Hanks? you know, like nothing, nothing's really surprising at the Opry, but you also don't necessarily expect Tom Hanks to be, um, watching you either. There was a, um, like probably four or five years ago now, just speaking to how much fun it can be to stand on the side of the stage. Um, we had a, um, an Opry member who had been an opera member like 45 years or so at the time. I think it was the Fourth of July, and she just came out early and was watching the show, and you know, just talking with everybody. And then I was backstage in the hallway, and they were paging her to come to the stage. <laughs> and she um, looked at me and was like, "Why am I being paged? What do they need from me? I'm like, You're actually on the show. Like, <laughs> you have to go play. Like, <laughs> you've been. Um, you know, she got so caught up in this." Be- in at the show, she and she's like, "Oh, of course!" <laughs> but it was great, and it shows, you know, like what a really great night at the opera can be. It's like you playing your three songs or two songs or whatever, and then also just enjoying great music and
0: catching up with old friends and meeting new ones. Absolutely, absolutely. So, when is the best? Because I've had a lot of friends who have been fortunate enough to make their opera debut, and I always think it's interesting, like when they do it in, in their career. And I also think it's interesting to hear their managers kind of talk about or, like, discuss it. I mean, it, I think it's hard to say no if the Opry ever calls, but is there a time that you think, like, do you want a single at radio or before singles at radio, or do you want a little bit of buzz so you can have a great press release? Like, when is the best time to make an Opry debut, or or is it hard to say? I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of like
1: everything else Opry-related. It all depends on – you the artist you know it's um like as sure as as i would be to say oh you should wait till your songs in the top 40 or top 20 or the week of your album release or what have you you know if if josh turner had done that he wouldn't have this great great story that the opry and i love to tell what's the story That really set him apart. So um, he had just signed his record deal, and um, the Opry was really, really important to him. Um, So he went to Pete Fisher, who was the general manager of the Opry at the time, really saying, We really like this, is really important to me. I want to be on that stage. I'd like to, you know, he wanted to make his Opry debut early and um early in his career and so um pete let him have one song and i think it was the friday before christmas um and josh now likes to say it was late in the show i think he said that i'm not sure if that how late in the show it was but it was basically a okay we'll do you this favor you can sing one song with the Opry band um sort of thing and he went out and this was at the Ryman and um, sang Long Black Train, which was not released to radio at the time and wouldn't be for quite some time actually, but went out, saying Long Black Train and the crowd went crazy. Um, the, he got a standing ovation and then the, like there were people on their feet and then the entire crowd was on its feet um by the time he had gotten to the second verse so before he even finished like the crowd is up and stomping and chanting as if it was someone they knew they knew i think it just really connected um and i asked him once you know like what was going through your mind when that was happening because he was an opry fan he knew that that didn't just happen at the opry you know um and he said he was thinking don't forget the words Like that's all he was thinking was don't forget the words. And so he finished his song, the crowd was going crazy. And he said that he just kind of like walked off stage in a bit of a daze. um, And that he had gotten all the way to the steps. um, I think stage left to go to his dressing room and somebody came running to him and said, they're, they, they need you back out there. Like you're getting an encore. And, um, he said that like he didn't have an encore because he had only practiced, they had only rehearsed the one song because right. there's more than one song. And he said that luckily Bill Anderson said something like, How about you make that um train a little longer? And so they went in and I think they did the last um the second verse again. And he said at that point he did forget the words a little bit, but um it was all good. So you know, that's a long story I know but it's my best way of saying hey there's who knows when the best time to debut is it's it's um what seems to be right for you you know and um hope it it's just it's funny to me to look back on like really memorable debuts and then
0: some yeah, who the, are some of the best debuts that that's that stick out to you
1: um you know when old crow medicine show debuted it was just really um, they had played the Opry Plaza um, for, like, um, and just entertained for free, so that was a really, um, I don't know, it was just a great um, Opry moment to me that they had made their way after entertaining literally tens of thousands of people in the plaza, that they were playing the um, Opry stage. And I'll always love um, Ashley McBride's debut, just because everybody loves a it, to me it's like um, everybody loves a good Harper Valley PTA socket to him moment and you know like can you really get any better than her singing about a teacher who told her she was never gonna make it
0: on the <laughs> on the
1: Opry I mean it doesn't get much better than that maybe I just love socket to you more than the next guy but and just the um fact that like um she wore her emotion on her sleeve that night
0: I, I lost the volume for a second hang on can you hear me yeah can you hear me i can't so weird why can't i hear you say, say something three four okay hello. now i can hear you that was so weird I'm so from s- the
1: grand Ole opry
0: <laughs> that's the that's what i want to say one day one day i want to say live from wsm's grand Ole opry show
1: <laughs>
0: we do get oh, the answers so
1: i oh, mean okay. no, you're all good uh, I um I love your um knowledge and appreciation for the show. That's awesome. I feel like um a couple of things you've asked um have made me think, does he know more about the show than I do? But
0: okay. <laughs> well I've I've got one more kind of question that I've always kind of wondered. So the circle they took from the Ryman, c- can you see in the Ryman where this did they patch it up? Mm-hmm. Where where, you, you, where
1: you can't you can't see like um, where it is or where the circle was, and the Ryman stage has um, actually been replaced since then, um, and so the stage that would from which the circle would have come is, and you probably um, know
0: that was in the backstage.
1: Is that the is, you know, is at the front of the Ryman stage? So if you look and see now that there are kind of two tones in the Ryman stage, the front of that is, um, would have been oh, was
0: the, front the same they took
1: sort it. of planks of wood um, from which the circle was taken.
0: Wow, unbelievable. And now, okay, and I also know that you have a folder on your computer for the 100th anniversary of the Opry. Any ideas that, that we've come up with recently or we have no idea what, what it's gonna be?
1: <laughs> oh, I will tell you that um, the um, pandemic has, um, I would like to think the folder would be a lot more full um, now than it um, is had there, not been a, had there not been a pandemic. But yeah, you know what? Um, I will say that many times um, as we planned our 95th celebration, which is obviously far different than we would have imagined um, when we were planning it in January, we said, those things feel like um, 100th elements but I'll tell you anytime um, I see somebody else celebrating 100 or celebrating anything my ears perk up and I'm ready to take um, great notes just because to your point of um, like being really thankful to be in this position I'm really really thankful to be in it as we make those plans I mean I just think there's so much opportunity for us and after we get past the pandemic really do think it's an just um there's so many opportunities for the Opry leading up to that period and we've lost you know so many important people um on stage over the course of the past 10, 20 and 30 years. But we've also added to those ranks with people who love the Opry are really interesting characters in and of themselves. And I feel like there, there's just this great spirit of cooperation now between, you know, artists who have been here for decades and um, people who are just now discovering it, that there are great, great, op- great opportunities um, leading up to that 100th. And I'll tell you something else I'm really excited about it that hits before the 100th that I think the world will be excited about is on October 30th, 2021 will be the 5,000th Saturday night since that first night back in 1925. And it's funny how to me, 95 years is an incredible accomplishment, but 5,000 Saturday nights with a show, you know, um, coming out by that time of a, a pandemic in which we didn't miss a broadcast um and you know there were tuesdays where we were had four contingency plans for well what if we can't do this in the opry house and what if we can't do this here like will we do this from somebody's living room etc um that you know it's no small tacit that that we're hitting five thousand. i just think people will really get a kick out of that so i'm excited about it too
0: I mean, it's been so much fun. If I don't watch it live, I always watch the rerun the next day or whatever. But it's been so fun to see those performances and see you guys not skip a beat, and you know, and the collaborations and even having one of the first ones, just Vince and Marie Sewer and, and Brad Paisley sitting, in, you know, in a row together it was just cool to see and felt special. And just when you, if you're,
1: just when I think you know, I'm really important and my job is really important, I will tell you we did not talk with um Vince, Marty, or Brad about like the makeup of that show. All we knew going in was that they were going to take turns on their guitars playing music. Um, It was we did talk with Vince that morning because it was the we all learned about the death of Kenny Rogers that morning. Right. Other than that, we were all about how do we get these people in here safely, including our staff? How do we film this? It like, if it occurred to me to think what's actually the content of the show going to be, I don't remember it. I I do remember thinking they've got this and like watching them come in and me thinking, Hmm, I wonder what they're I wonder what they're going to do. Um it's going to be as big a surprise to me as anybody else. So if you if I ever dare think that um they can't live without me that was certainly um proof that they can um Vince Marty, and Brad had it had it all figured out.
0: Unbelievable. Here's what I think for the 100th. And I bet you've never been pitched a good idea ever by an outsider. Cuz outsiders I'm, <laughs> outsiders I'm, always I'm think excited. they have good ideas. I'm excited. Here, here, here's what I think. I think that the week leading up there should be a set of broadcasts from Fifth and Union, which is now like a parking lot, Belcourt Theatre, War Memorial, you go to every location that the Opry played, figure out how to make it work because War Memorial or Fifth and Union is like a parking lot. Right. A broadcast from each place ending at the Ryman or ending at the Opry house on Saturday night or something. That's what I think. That's why I, I love it.
1: You know, we, I mean, the thing, the real chat, one of the real challenges will be, how do we extend it? um, Because there will be more than 8,800 people wanting to see this, like the Opry's 100th, you know? So how do, how do we expand it um, such that everybody who wants to be a part of the Opry's 100th, or as many people as possible? can is it and is that you do it in a big place but then you like you want to do it here at the opry house obviously so it'll be and that's not about um you know selling as many tickets as possible for me as there are so many fans out there that will really want to um be a part of it and i'm still um surprised that you know we get we meet people and hear from people that say they've wanted to come to the Opry all their lives and just haven't done it yet. And you know, that'll be the case with like lifelong Opry fans that are, that decide this is the year. This is the year I do that.
0: It'll like be maybe, I'll, okay. maybe
1: I'll run another um, idea or two by you. Uh, there is a five thousandth um, idea I have that's really simple. Um, but I think it will just be really, really fun and um, get people talk- talking. So Soon as, um, as soon as we get that together, uh, you'll be the first to know.
0: That would be an honor. Dan, Opry Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. This was so fun, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep watching the Opry every Saturday night. Now you guys are adding more shows, and you've gone to two hours now, and now there's actually audience members in the room again, so it's been exciting. Yeah,
1: we go, we go to two hours beginning Friday, November 6th, so we're planning on that too. I um, am very thankful to have done this as long as Vince Gill does not watch and see me talk.
0: We'll make sure he's not. How, how do people start calling you Opry Dan? Or is that just like you've been around the Opry forever? They start calling you Opry Dan? Is that, is that um, how it
1: goes? Bill Cody, who is um, the course, yeah. guy on 650 WSM and Circle Television and is one of our announcers, um, called me that. And the great Hazel Smith. Um, who is a music journalist and just a mother hen on Music Row, um, amplified that like nobody's business and would scream Opry Dan at me across crowded uh, music industry gatherings. And I think that that's, um, it was a one, if you have Bill Cody and Hazel Smith both calling you Opry Dan, it's, you're not going to be called by much besides that
0: unbelievable I and it's it. a great i mean talk
1: about honor who wouldn't want to have you can't a,
0: complain who's ever been called opere- anything it's,
1: it's fun very good thank well, you man
0: stay well out there and, and hope to talk soon I, I hope to see you at a show when whenever that that's even possible
1: <laughs> come and see us yeah it'll be here before we know it i'm sure
0: absolutely well stay well Th- thank you so much you betcha Thanks again for tuning in, and thanks again to Dan for taking the time to come onto the show. It seriously means a lot. I really appreciate it, and hope we get the chance to talk again soon, because it was it was really fun. It was a blast. The Zach Kuhn Show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. If you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at NashvilleBriefing.com, or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.